Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about a half a century in construction with the help of special guest David Gerstel of David Gerstel Builder in Kensington, California. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone out there, thank you so much for tuning in to the Tim Fowler Show. Keep those ideas coming in. Let me know what you want to hear about, and I'll see if I can't find some guests that can fill those slots. So in the remodeling world, there's been a lot of changes, okay? And in some ways, things have really stayed the same. So technology is one of those big things where it has changed a lot. No matter how you feel about it, it has changed. And in some cases, we feel like it's for the better. In other cases, we feel like maybe not so. So, for example, for those of you who are a little older listening in, can you remember that sort of 3D quality, that three-dimensional quality of a hand-drawn plan compared to that real stark two-dimensional CAD drawings that we're seeing nowadays? Sometimes I can't even kind of get my head wrapped around that. Or maybe it's the ability to communicate instantaneously. And sometimes these days we think that's an advantage. And then there's these times when we go like, wow, I just wish nobody could reach me. And it would be a blessing not to have text messages or email. And we could actually shut the phone off or maybe just like we used to do, leave it in the office. So the labor shortage is another one of those things that's really changed our world. But On the other hand, people are people, right? And so dealing with people has changed very, very little. Unless, of course, you think about generational things like millennials do see the world a little bit different. But after all, we still dig foundations. We put up walls. We nail boards together. That's changed a little bit, which I think we'll get into in this conversation. And we still put shingles on to keep the rain out. So many years, probably many years ago, so probably around 2001, when I started doing a lot of traveling, and especially when I was in California, people would refer to this guy, David Gerstel, and they'd say, have you ever met David? Have you read his book? Have you? And at that point in time, I had not. And up until actually a few months ago, I had not met David, even though he's been Uh, a fixture in the remodeling and building world for many, many years. In fact, when we first started doing the podcast, I got an email from an individual in Vancouver that kind of said, hey, Tim, don't waste your time on all these other topics. Get the granddaddy of them all on there. Get David Gerstel. (laughs) And so I'm I'm really excited about having him on with us. And and like we said, we're going to be talking about 50 years of being in this business and just seeing like where where have we come from what's different and also then of course what's the same 
Tim, I'm very excited to get started. David Gerstel has been a builder for over 40 years and is the author of several respected books on construction, company management, including the recently published Nail Your Numbers, A Path to Skilled Construction, Estimating, and Bidding. Like his books, his construction operation emphasizes respect for and profit sharing with employees, bulletproof construction, as several customers have described his work, efficiency in the field and the office, and rigorous control of overhead. He often says that he feels blessed by the results, financial independence since his early 30s, and hundreds of thousands of readers. David moved beyond bidding for free and initiated a nationwide movement away from competitive bidding and toward working in collaboration with clients and designers through the use of what is variously known as cost planning services, pre-construction consulting, and other terms. David continues to build and write for the sheer joy and satisfaction of it. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Okay, so let's get started on this. So just to be clear, and just so you can give us a little bit more about who you are, how long have you been doing this? And and give us an idea of how you got started in this business. 50 years. (laughs) Um. I was a college student. I had a professor who wanted to push me into a professorship by a Rhodes Scholarship, and I turned him down. I said, I don't want to sit in libraries anymore and read. I was a college athlete, and I realized I liked physical movement better than studying, although I did love to write. I did love to write. So I wandered out into the world trying to learn to work with my hands, really not understanding what that entailed at all, because I come from a family of professors. But I got really lucky. I met two really brilliant carpenters, and they took me under their wing. And one of them said, as I was testing out various trades, stay with carpentry. The carpenter runs the job. I know you, (laughs) David, you're not going to be happy if you're not running the job. That sounded uh, valid to me. So I pursued carpentry. It was tough. I was getting going during a recession that was as bad as the last one we just went through for construction. It took me, I had to go through 37 different jobs to get to journeyman level, but I finally got there. And then a friend of mine asked me to build a couple of garages for his Ferrari collection, (laughs) help him renovate this little shack he bought down in the flatlands. And I said, this is for me working for myself and never turned back. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's really interesting. And I just, I mean, kind of off the subject, but maybe not. This recession thing is cyclical, isn't it? It it comes around every uh, so many years. I mean, what you mentioned is you got started in the recession era. And then, of course, it boomed back. And then I know I've been through two or three of them myself, and I've only been in this thing for about 30 years. So, Yeah, it's about every 10 years. It- I think I was lucky to start during a recession because I did not take work for granted and I didn't take profit for granted. I knew from the beginning because of the lessons I was taught in that recession, you've got to be ready for these downturns. You've got to build a company that can stay afloat in rough seas. I listen to a lot of younger guys now and I worry about them because they're doing very well financially. They're rapidly building a company. They, they see their name out there on their trucks. It makes them feel good, of course. That's understandable. Definitely. And they attribute it too much to their own talent and not enough to the fact 
that they're lucky to be in a lucky moment. I, mean, I don't think we've ever had a boom like this one, at least not around here. Yeah. People have yeah. to get down on their hands and knees to ask a contractor to do a remodel for them at a thousand bucks a square foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, that's a very good observation. And I, I've asked contractors many, many times, I said, are your faults being masked by a great economy? Because great. When, when your faults, when you have that recession, that's when your faults really just jump out. So tell us a little bit about you actually starting the business. You got started going the, and then how did it actually grow for you? And then we'll start, we'll get into how things have changed. Let me say a couple of things there. Okay. First of all, I don't think of myself as a remodeler. I think okay. of myself as a builder. About a third of my work has been ground up. About a third, what we would conventionally call remodeling. And my favorite third is in the middle where we take existing but really dilapidated buildings and completely reconstruct them. Maybe the final project is 20% of the old building. Right. So, um, so how did you do it? You know, I was never interested in growing my top line for its own sake, for bragging rights. Right, right. Um, down at the builders' conferences that I went to, <laughs> I was interested in growing strength. I, I think I, I came to, to believe, belief might be a little bit too strong a word, but something like that, pretty early on, construction is a not-for-profit industry. It's like the airlines. The, if you, if you t tally up the net profit and loss for all the construction companies or all the airlines that ever existed, you'll get a big <laughs> red number. So I wanted to build a very compact, highly efficient, operation with very low overhead so that our markups were almost entirely profit and yet were very competitive and then take the profit and invest it in frankly in other industries um, or in properties which I kept as investments that's the operation I built I built it a step at a time um, it, it grew organically really Tim um, I we took the work that came in the door our customers were our market marketing force our sales force we never even had a job site sign or a business card. Oh, wow. We simply took calls from people who heard about us from past customers. And if they liked us and we liked them and we felt their budget was reasonable and we could build for them something that they'd be really happy with and we'd be really proud of for the budget available would take the job. Now, later on, we're going to talk, I think, about what's changed. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on commenting on one key feature of our company, which was that from a very early moment in my career, I decided against doing free competitive competitive bids and providing pre-construction services for a fee very early on became a feature of, of my company. But I think we just hold off talking about that more maybe till we get into what's changed in the industry, because that's a big change, not only for me, but it was, it's a huge change in the industry overall, which started right here. Okay, cool. So let's let's jump right into it because I think what we want to do is kind of see, you know, what has changed since you got started, and then you know we'll talk about some of the things that have stayed the same. But let's let's just jump right in there. What are some things that you've seen that are, have changed uh, since you got into it, and and a little bit about your impact on that? Okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, changes first of all. There has been a huge change 
in the materials we use. And that's a result um, of just technological advance and staggering. I, I wrote a book once called Crafting the Considerate House, which is by far my favorite book and the one the least read of all my books. <laughs> <laughs> in it, I constructed this little, you know, fantasy of an old time carpenter that I had worked with when I was an apprentice showing up at my job site. Now he'd been dead and gone 30 years at that point, 40 years. He, he, he rises from the dead. He comes to my job site. He looks around. He does not recognize any of the materials we're using, even the nails, much less the nail guns. They didn't exist. Right. I was working with him. Every single component of the building that he saw, we were at the framing stage had changed. Only thing that was somewhat familiar to him was plywood, because I prefer to use plywood to OSB. Right. right. If we had OSB, he wouldn't have recognized that. He didn't recognize TJIs. He didn't recognize any of the fasteners. He didn't recognize the Simpson hardware. Right. When I was starting out, my boss used to send me down to the lumber company to pick up a few sticks. I'd look at the Simpson shelf. It was three feet high and two feet wide and had five items on it. <laughs> now a Simpson catalog is the size of an old Sears and Roebuck catalog. So. The material changes are huge. And along with the material changes is a vast change in building requirements. I mean, right. for example, we now face performance tests. We've got special inspections for concrete strength. We've got, right. of course, you know, double paned windows. They didn't exist when I started out. The first new house I ever built was not insulated. Right, right, I remember that. So huge change in building materials. Of course, there's a huge change in office and, for that matter, construction site technology. The digital revolution has come. We're all so immersed in it. We hardly are aware of the change, but we've got a desktop. We've got a smartphone. We're using text and email. We're using PDFs instead of paper. We're, using, we're even using electronic devices to figure out, you know, rafter dimensions and layout. Right, right. That's pretty obvious change. Um, Something that's not so obvious that I think, at least for those of us in what I call the artisan builder world, you know, guys who run relatively small to mid-sized companies, build homes, small apartment buildings, a huge change is the move away from what I call bidding for free. Um, when I was very new to this business, I got an a invitation to remodel a beautiful old Queen Anne Victorian in San Francisco. The plans for it were pathetic at best. They've been drawn by the owner's <laughs> college roommate who had taken some architectural courses to get his BA. Yeah. Was not, was smoking pot every time I saw him. So <laughs> the plans were pretty shabby. And I, I said, I'd love to do the job. And the owner said, can you give us an estimate? I said, sure. I went back to my desk and I had to call him up a day or two later or go see them and say, I can't do an estimate for you. Um, it's going to take me 150 hours to estimate this project. There's the plans, the estimate is really gonna be specifying to begin with every detail of the job, drawing up a lot of the details, describing them in prose and generating 40 pages worth of numbers. I, I gotta be out in the field earning my living. Right. Um, can't take three weeks off to create an estimate. I'm sorry, I, I can't do your job. And then they said, well, how about if we pay you for the estimate? Aha, the light so came on. I said, I'll be fair. I said, but I'll tell you what, I charge $13 an hour in the field. <laughs> I can work longer estimating than I can in the field, so I'll just charge you 12 He oh, said, well, that's right. really fair. 
<laughs> I never did a free bid after that. I said to myself, this is really valuable work. I'm going to get paid for it. Yep. And after, and customers accepted my proposition. I said, I'm going to bring you real value here. Right. I need to be paid for this work. After about two years of that, I was beginning to get a little bit established in a group of very savvy builders at that regularly here in the Bay Area, the Splinter Group, we call right. it. Right, right. I've heard of that. Yeah. I recently wrote an article about that group for a journal of light construction. Oh, cool. So it was my turn to host the group and give a talk. So I thought, I'll give a talk about uh, beyond bidding for free. Right. 250 guys turned up. I had to give the talk twice because the hall wasn't big <laughs> enough. There were a lot of really, really sharp guys in this group. Yeah. They took this idea and they ran with it. And now we're at the point here where you call up a top line builder and he and ask for a free bid. He's going to say, you know, honestly, the well-established capable builders in this area don't play that game anymore. We have right. a better way, a way we think is better for us and better for you. And I'll be happy to explain it to you if you like. So David, all the, uh, all the people that listen to this podcast in the Bay area are going like, I know something else has changed. Thirteen dollars an hour. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like I don't know what it is for sure now, but I know it's not thirteen dollars an hour for a business owner in the Bay Area. So let's add to this: this idea, which we initiated here, as best I can tell, is now standard practice nationwide. It is. Oh, your, you know, Victoria, who owns Remodelers Advantage. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's. In fact, there are now books published. By, there's a book published by a lawyer called Broken Buildings, Busted Budgets. Great book, which strongly advises owners. And this is a lawyer who represents owners to yeah. not go the competitive bid route, to go the, the cost planning route. Right. That's incredible. And 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 so this this actually kind of came about as just you uh, basically trying to get out of it. And then they, then the client actually says, yeah, we'll pay you to do this. And so it wasn't necessarily a strategy, but it was just taking advantage of this opportunity that came along. It was a happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it just sort of evolved organically. Yeah. That's amazing how many things happen like that, that we, we, yeah. our businesses change and we change organically. So that, that's, that's very, very cool. So I was thinking, I think I know that you and I talked a little bit before the podcast and I read a book recently called The Checklist Manifesto. And Mm. in that book, the author sort of bemoans the idea that the master builder is no longer part of our world. In other words, the person who does everything is no longer part of our world. And so in his case, he was saying, you have to have more checklists because the responsibilities are spread around a lot more. I know when we talk, you were talking about the developer model versus the uh, trade contractor model. Give it, give us a little bit about that. Cause I think when you started, it was more that master builder idea. And now it's more of a, a contractor with a whole bunch of trade contractors. That's yeah. That's an important development. Um, I I call them two models: the developer model and the traditional model. Okay. The traditional model, typical, typically in use then, was a builder 
with a crew of carpenters who could install foundations, frame, and do finish work, and probably do at least some of the other trades and would do some of the other trades if there was a, a small volume of, say, drywall or tile, right. or even electrical or plumbing, PME. That's the kind of builder I've always been to me. That's the joyful way to build. I mean, have, being hands-on in charge of the entire project or having a crew out there that's doing all the work with you as their, you know, their leader, not necessarily in the field, maybe in the office mostly, but taking the job from the beginning. That's the kind of building I love. It's, it's, uh, I like the control that goes with it. Um, I think it's more profitable, actually. That's a subtle question. We could get into that if you like. But and it, when I started out, you had to be that kind of builder if you want to get insurance. The insurance companies would not insure what they called the broker builders, which, okay. which is guys who embraced what I now call the developer model, which is now a predominant model. The builder is a guy who at most has a supervisor out on the job site, um, but who subcontracts all of the work, even demolition right. and cleanup to trade partners. I guess that's a viable model. I see guys using it, using it seemingly effectively. I know I have friends who are builders or call themselves builders who are doing quite well, who didn't come up through the trades at all. Right. One guy who came up through the banking industry, decided he wanted to get into construction instead of handing out construction loans. <laughs> he can't swing a hammer and neither can his foreman. They, they simply coordinate trade partners who handle all the field work. Now we'll see. I'm a little uneasy about how that model is going to hold up during the coming recession. Okay. There will be another recession. Right. I think uh, the guys who embrace the developer model are going to have an even harder time staying afloat than guys who use the traditional model. And it's all recession is always hard for everybody. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that that'll be very interesting to see how that all works out. So any other, kind of big changes that you can kind of point to from when you started to uh, where we are now? I think we've covered the main ones that occur to me, change in materials, change in digital technology, change from competitive bidding to the cost planning model, uh, change in building department requirements and so forth. I think we've yeah, if I if I may jump in, David, what do you think have been the best changes? You know, if you look at technology, because, you know, when I own my business, having a cell phone in my hand, I couldn't imagine being out in the field or, or driving along and not having a cell phone, you know, and I know there were many more uh, pay phones back then. But, um, you know, what do you think have been the best changes? And are there any changes that you see that have maybe gotten in the way of uh, proper building? Yeah, cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's. A dumb, I, th- I think cell phones are amazing devices, and uh, used well, they can be very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And used badly, they can be a real problem. I had a consulting client who hired me at my, you know, my outrageous rates, uh, <laughs> and allowed himself to be interrupted by his crew eleven times mm. a two-hour session. His yes. crew was totally dependent upon him for all for constant supervision, for all decisions, because he was so accessible by cell phone. Right. Um, I actually think, to my way of thinking, the most beneficial change, potentially the most beneficial change, is this move toward collaboration between owners, designers, and builders using the cost planning model. Okay. Because I think that, 
that can do away with a lot of the adversarialism that, that troubles construction. Right. It can produce a lot of benefits. Uh, sometimes it's subverted. I do know builders who take advantage of it basically to pull the wool over customers' eyes and up their profit margins, and I'm sorry to see that. But when it's used with integrity, it offers real benefit all around. Okay, so we've covered the changes. Now, what are some of the things that are the same that you think are actually good to keep consistent with this industry? Well, I don't know if I'd make a good, bad judgment about them. They just are. Okay. It always seemed to me, I guess because I'm an author as well as a carpenter and builder, that uh, construction is sort of like an ancient story that's told over and over around the campfire. You know, you know, you know what the next chapter is going to be. Um, you go out to, I go 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 to any job site today, and instantly I recognize where the builder is in his storyline. You know, he's setting up the site or he's installing his batter boards, excavating, forming installing concrete he's moved to framing now there are there is woven into the story some new twists mostly having to do uh with new trade partners for say uh new kinds of wiring or uh, thermal boundaries particularly that's a big change a big improvement in um, our knowledge of water barriers although not necessarily in our quality of installation of water barriers (laughs) but um So, but that that old story is still told over and over. To me, it's a wonderful story. Being at a job site or having a crew out on a job site and seeing that story unfold is, to me, it's a beautiful thing. That That is a great way to look at it. I love that imagery that uh, now every time I go by a job site, I'm going to go like, what chapter are they in right there <laughs> on that job site? So You'll know so, instantly. Yeah, no, I, I, yes, you're exactly right. Anybody that's been through it, done it, can recognize it immediately. So as we start to wrap this up, David, I understand you still use a hammer and nail and don't uh, don't use the nail gun. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's a, a little bit of a, of a mythology. Okay. <laughs> but, um, I, I think nail guns are kind of like smartphones. They can be wonderful and they can do a lot of damage. Yeah. Um, I like nail guns for finish work. I think used with at a steady rhythm without rushing, nail guns can actually improve the quality of finished work because you got a hand free to hold the material in place. You know, you're right. holding a finished nail and then slapping your thumb with your hammer. <laughs> um, I think at the other end of the spectrum, nail guns have done a tremendous amount of damage at the level of structural work, particularly installation of, of panel goods. Um, yes. Heating, exterior sheathing. Yeah subfloor, roof decks, partly because guys just dribble the hammer down the the, uh, the material, partly because um, often the apprentices are given that job and right. um, they end up oversetting the nails and the mm-hmm. building inspectors let that go and you end up with structural strength that is far less than you could have achieved. Um, I do not allow nail guns um, to be used. On my projects, I don't use nail guns for structural work. Right. And I figured out, I did a calculation. I figured out that it's actually cheaper to have a, an apprentice nail off the shear wall than to have a journeyman do it with a nail gun. And there's some yeah. real benefits because it's something to keep the apprentice at, to keep the apprentice busy at when there's not something that he can handle on another part of the project. Plus, he learns how to nail. Yep. Plus, as a reward, 
I buy him a hundred dollar titanium hammer. <laughs> that sounds really good about his tool and his new skills. But there, there is interesting. I'll just finish with this. If I got a minute more, yeah. I was told I haven't found this yet, but I was told there's a billboard outside of town here on the edge of a sub subdivision. that says built by hand, no nail guns. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. find that. <laughs> I'd, lo I'd love to see a picture of that. Well, David, this, yeah. this has been so fantastic. Uh, I have a whole new imagery for my world as I drive <laughs> around looking at job sites. And I just really appreciate just some of that real down to earth kind of context that you put some of these things in. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, David. Tim, that was fantastic. I love talking to David. Love to hear all the changes. I mean, we could really talk for a very long time with David. Well, I think he has such great uh, sort of word pictures to paint for us. Um, obviously, he's not just a carpenter. He's a, a craftsman as well as an artist. And, uh, ha and he loves this industry. He loves what we do. It loves, uh, you know, it's just hard to, I mean, everybody heard it. Uh, yeah. It's hard to even say uh, what we experienced just chatting with him about various things. Yeah. And I, I like his kind of philosophical take on certain things. And, and also, you know, just kind of pointing out the, uh, the oversetting of nails on the sheathing, not th something you really think about and can't imagine somebody hand nailing all of the sheathing and plywood <laughs> on a roof, but you know, something to think about and, and it's just great feedback from somebody like him. Yeah. And I think too, the other thing is just the warnings about recessions. Yes. Uh, that was like the first thing that hit me was just that idea that 50 years ago he what he started his business in a recession. Yeah. Uh, I've been through at least two with a, maybe a minor one yeah. uh, as well. And uh, I think the warning to, you know, put some money aside, set your business up for success yeah. outside of the economy. And I think that's probably one of the best things that came out of that discussion. Yeah. Well, great. Well, once again, we want to thank David Gristel for joining us today. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. <laughs> this has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.